Hi, listeners. This is Understand South Carolina, a news podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. I'm Gavin McIntyre. South Carolina is one of only three states that doesn't have a hate crimes law. But earlier this month, a bill that would remove the state from that short list passed easily through the House. There have been attempts to pass this kind of legislation before, but this could be the year, in part because the state's influential business community has been pushing for it. Some of the state's largest employers, like Walmart and Duke Energy, along with the University of South Carolina, have urged lawmakers to finally pass the bill. Today, we'll hear from political reporter Jamie Lovegrove about what the current version of the bill would actually do and what it will take to get it signed into law. We'll also check in with Assistant Columbia Bureau Chief Shauna Adcox on some of the year's other hot topic proposals and what their chances are, now with just several weeks left in the legislative session. Mr. Newton is recognized on amendment number one. On April 7th, South Carolina's House of Representatives voted in favor of a bill that would enhance penalties for hate crimes. Republican Representative Weston Newton, one of the bill's sponsors, addressed House members before the vote. Uh, Good afternoon. Protecting against violent criminal acts motivated by proven hatred is not a liberal or conservative issue. It is not a Republican or Democrat issue. It is not a black or a white issue and it is not a gay or a straight issue. This bill before us today is a penalty enhancement bill that protects each and every one of us in this room from hate-motivated violent acts. Last summer, House Speaker Jay Lucas created a committee which was tasked with putting together a hate crimes bill. South Carolina was taking some cues from its neighbor Georgia, which passed a hate crimes law last year after the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, a black man who was fatally shot by armed white men while jogging in a neighborhood outside Brunswick, Georgia. H3620, the hate crimes bill, a lot of hard work has gone into this legislation. You know, part of the problem in the state house is that sometimes it's not necessarily opposition to your bills that kill them. It's just a lack of momentum behind them. I'm Jamie Lovegrove, and I'm a political reporter uh, in Columbia. I cover the state house. You know, there are thousands of bills filed every legislative session, uh, and to get through the legislative process, they really need a big concerted push um, by a broad kind of coalition of supporters, especially if they are at all controversial um, or at all contested in any way. And so, you know, you did have a number of lawmakers pushing for these over the years, but what has changed over this past year is the addition of of the business community really rallying behind this effort. And also, uh, you know, part of this was was really in response to a lot of the protests that we saw uh, last summer. The House Speaker actually created a sort of special panel, a special committee uh, to deal with a bunch of, of race-related issues in response to those Black Lives Matter protests. And one of the issues that they were dealing with was hate crimes. So, you know, it's partly that the coalition behind this bill has gotten bigger, and it's partly the timing and the sort of connection to, to broader national issues. 
Bills like this have passed the Senate before. They had never passed the House before. Uh, so this was a really significant step. My name is Swathi Patel. I'm Executive Vice President for Public Policy with the South Carolina Chamber of Commerce. I think it really just made businesses rethink, you know, why is it that South Carolina doesn't have a hate crimes law? And the importance of why we need it, I think, also came up to the forefront. You know, a lot of companies, I think, last year, through many different ways, decided to step up and focus on the fact that their employees are very diverse. They come from very different backgrounds and they wanted to be able to support them. I think it showed to companies that, you know, the values of our state matter and not having a hate crimes law reflected poorly on our values. In January, about 100 businesses signed a letter to Governor McMaster and state lawmakers urging the passage of a hate crimes law. They wrote that, quote, by passing a hate crimes bill, we will let the world know that South Carolina is not a state that condones crimes motivated by hate. I've been very um, surprised, actually, to see how companies have said, and we've heard from some of them, that this is something we're going to look at now. You know, we look at a lot of different issues when we come to South Carolina, whether it's to come here or to grow here expand here. Um, you know, we look at our tax climate, we look at workforce development, lots of different traditional issues that companies look at. This, we heard, is another issue that they're going to, um, you know, consider. You know, it's not going to be the sole issue, of course, but it's something they're going to think about. And we don't want that here in South Carolina. We want our businesses to feel like, you know, our state represents the values that they have as a company. So, yeah, we do believe this is going to be a competitiveness issue. We think we need to have a hate crimes bill so that we can be on a level playing field with the other 47 states. South Carolina often finds itself at the top of the list where we ought to be last, think domestic violence, and at the bottom of the list where we ought to be on the top, education. The business community has made it clear to us and reiterated the fact that the absence of this type of message, that this type of signal, that this type of legislation challenges our competitiveness on the national and international stage to attract business here in South Carolina. It passed 79 to 29. All 29 of the votes against it were Republicans, but, you know, a ton of Republicans voted for this bill. Of course, frankly, to pass any bill in the South Carolina House or Senate requires a lot of Republicans to vote for them because Republicans hold near supermajorities in both chambers. And Republican leadership in the House was very supportive of this, including uh, the House Speaker, Jay Lucas. You know, what was surprising, I think, to a lot of us covering this bill, um, given how uh, contentious some of the committee hearings had been about it was that there was basically no debate at all on the floor. You know, our theories for, for why that may have been was that the supporters of this bill who, who wanted to change some of the elements of it that had been taken out in committee effectively 
didn't want to, to drag it out, didn't want to create a big debate. And so they decided not to raise a big issue about it. And also, you know, the House has gone through a lot of contentious debates this year already. Uh, abortion, on guns, um, you know, on, on a, a number of big culture war issues. And I think House leadership was eager to avoid something like that happening again. Most folks at this stage in the process, most lawmakers knew where they were going to stand on one side or the other of this bill. You know, a debate was probably not going to change their mind. And so it passed, but but it was sort of a, a watered-down version than, than what was initially filed and what supporters wanted. Yeah, and that's my next question, Jamie, is the bill that was passed on April 7th, what exactly would it entail? So... It would enhance penalties for people who have already been convicted of an underlying violent crime if that crime was – if you know a judge or a jury determines that, that crime was committed against someone specifically because of one of the listed personal characteristics uh, in the bill. Um, that list includes race, color, religion, sex, national origin, and physical or mental disability, as well as sexual orientation and gender. Those last two, there was a lot of debate about in committee. Initially in subcommittee, they took out sexual orientation and gender, with Republicans basically saying that if you didn't take those out, it would make it harder to pass. But they added those back in uh, the full committee. What they took out in the full committee was other types of crimes. So vandalism, stalking, and harassment, those were also going to get enhanced penalties, but they decided to limit this bill just to violent crimes. There were some Democrats who were very upset about that. You know, they pointed out, let's say you um, graffiti a swastika on a synagogue, or you write, you know, racial epithets at a, on a black church. That would not be considered a violent or, or a hate crime under this bill because of the fact that it's not violent. Um, it's only vandalism. So it really does limit the scope of the bill. But effectively, you know, if you are convicted of, of a violent crime against someone because they are black or because they are white, you know, it goes both ways. If you commit a crime against someone because they are a man or because they are a woman, again, it goes both ways. You know, if you commit a crime against someone because they are Muslim or because they are Christian, just because of the fact that you're in the majority does, that, does not mean that you're not protected by this bill. What was the reasoning for making that change that this would only apply to violent crimes? Part of the reasoning from some of the Republicans who proposed it was simply that, you know, they didn't want to go too far and the bill was more likely to pass in the Republican-controlled House and Republican-controlled Senate if the bill was not too expansive and kind of focused on the most egregious crimes, um, which are violent crimes. And there was also some testimony from church leaders in subcommittee um, who basically expressed concerns that the bill could be used to target their speech, specifically the like stalking or harassment penalties that were originally going to be included in there that they said that that people could claim that a a church leader's sermon or you know something like that was targeted towards them and and try to use that against them it is a pretty unlikely scenario but it was enough to 
convince some of the Republicans on the committee that they needed to be more limited in, in the scope of this bill. The supporters of the bill have said basically that they hope the Senate will add them back in. But the question then would be, could it pass the House with those additions back in? Now that the bill will be advancing to the Senate, South Carolina's business community and the South Carolina Chamber of Commerce plan to continue to advocate for its passage. I do think when the business community gets involved, it has an impact. And I think we see that in the hate crimes issue. You know, it is an issue that has been long debated. And I am so you know, glad to see that the business community's impact has made a difference this year in getting it through the House and hopefully we'll be able to get it through the Senate as well. You know, Republicans care a great deal about what the business community has to say. They pride themselves on the fact that they have recruited all of these major companies to South Carolina uh, and, you know, they give them incentives to lure them here. They care about the image of the state, um, which they say is very important for recruiting business moving forward. It's what they said about the Confederate flag. It's what they say about the hate crimes bill. You know, I do think it makes an impact. And, you know, we probably would not be at this point right now if it had not been for their support. And I imagine them continuing to stay active and involved on that issue will likely help it moving forward, not just in the Senate, but also with the governor, who likes to say a lot on the campaign trail that the business of South Carolina is business and, uh, you know, has been very friendly to the business community over over the years. Of course, if it passes the Senate, it's going to go to Governor McMaster's desk. What has he said about this bill and has he said if he would sign it? So he has repeatedly said that he doesn't really view this as a big problem, basically that, you know, if someone commits an underlying crime, they should get punished for that crime and, and that and we should leave it at that. But he has over the past year or so, I'd say, expressed more and more openness to the possibility of it. And I I would imagine that it's it would be difficult for him to reject a bill that has already been approved by Republican majorities in both the House and the Senate. That would be going out more on a political limb for him. He does, you know, is a conservative governor and he's getting ready to run a Republican primary. So that the politics of this may come into play. You know, I would expect that the fact that he's opened the door to signing it means that he will probably give it some pretty good thought if it does make it all the way to his desk. And now it goes to the Senate. Is there a feeling that it will pass? I think there is some some optimism. As I mentioned, the business community getting behind this bill this year um, really did give it another boost to momentum. You know, similar bills have passed the Senate before and gotten held up in the House. This is a different composition of the Senate now. The Senate is more Republican than it's ever been. You know, it's possible that the Republican majority could decide they don't want to do this this year. And, you know, we don't have a ton of time left. We only have about five weeks of session left. So it's not like they have all the time in the world to do this. Um, so there, there may be a question of whether or not they run out of time this year. And I will mention that, you know, the calendar continues into next year because it's a two-year session. So theoretically, even if the Senate doesn't pass it by the end of this year's session in May, they could come back in January and take it up and it would still, the House passage would still count. 
But, you know, all that's to say, I, I think there is optimism among supporters of the bill that now that they were able to clear the hurdle that they've long struggled to clear in the House, that the Senate will, will take it up and, and act at some point in the next few weeks. Of the three states without a hate crimes law, South Carolina, Arkansas, and Wyoming, Arkansas is the closest to adopting a law of this kind. State lawmakers sent a bill to their governor's desk this week. But critics have described it as a stripped-down alternative to a hate crimes law. Like South Carolina's bill, it would only apply to violent crimes. Unlike the current bill in South Carolina, though, it doesn't refer to specific categories like race, sexual orientation, or gender identity. I'm Shauna Adcox, um, a reporter, editor, and Columbia Assistant Bureau Chief. Today we've been talking about the hate crimes bill that passed the House, but there are other bills that have been on our radar and with just several weeks left in the legislative session, wanted to do kind of a a check-in on some of these others. So first, you were looking at bills that met the crossover deadline. What does that mean? So that means they literally cross over from one chamber to the other. Like, for instance, House bill will cross to the Senate. It'll get all the way across. And if they don't meet that deadline, so to speak, it's just a legislative arbitrary deadline. That that means um, it's much harder to pass. It can still become law this year, but it's not likely. And the reason is to be considered by the other chamber once a bill does crossover after the crossover deadline. It has to get a two-thirds majority vote just to be taken up to be considered for passage on the other side. So that basically means that anything controversial is not going to go anywhere. What's another example of some legislation that's met that crossover deadline that you know might have the chance of, of advancing this year? Well, and I'll add, just because it does make the deadline doesn't mean it's going to pass. I mean, it still had to go through the entire process on the other side and take, for instance, the one of the gun bills, the very controversial gun bills that passed the week of crossover deadline. And it says that you can, any adult, any adult that hasn't been convicted of a felony can carry their gun around openly concealed, no permit needed, don't have to go and take a CWP course, nothing like that. You can just buy a gun and vote it around. So that has been a a bill that's been out there for a decade or more. The Senate has, has rejected it multiple times. In fact, in 2014, the Senate Judiciary Committee actually outright voted it down. Normally they just, uh, let those bills kind of die on the vine. But because there was such an, an effort from the the folks wanting the bill to, to get to a vote, they, they got a vote and they turned it down. So I don't know that that, even though it passed the crossover, that that's actually going to get any headway in the Senate, you know, even so many years later. Another gun bill called the called the open carry with training that says, if you do have a CWP, a concealed weapon permit, If you've had the background check, you've got your fingerprints in the system, you've taken the eight hour course or or whatever length the course is, then you don't have to hide it. You don't have to have it uh, under your suit jacket or or what have you. That, I think, has probably a better chance in the Senate than the other one. But we'll see. 
What are some of the other bills that have made that crossover deadline that maybe aren't controversial that are pretty likely to make it through? Well, one would be, and it didn't get much attention, but it's the family leave bill. And I know some state employees are very much, very much looking at that bill. It's been around several years and it passed the house. It says that if you're a state employee and whether you adopt a child or give birth to a child, you can have 12 weeks off and that doesn't cut into your vacation time. That doesn't cut into your sick time. And McMaster last year even tweeted his support for it. Uh, It has bipartisan support in the Senate. So that probably has a pretty good chance. What about some of the legislation that maybe has gotten a lot of discussion, but we're not likely to see it resolved or necessarily move anywhere this year? Uh, Well, I would say some of the couple of the transgender bills, one was rejected and two weeks later, it came right back up in subcommittee. So the bill is called the Save Women Sports Act. And what it says is that um, basically if you're transgender girl, you can't play in a female sport. And that actually was rejected in House Judiciary Committee. Now they reintroduced it and it advanced again to House Judiciary and it has not made the floor. It's probably going to be stuck in House Judiciary for quite some time if, if it ever gets out. So another bill that's actually sponsored by a Democrat, although co-sponsors include a lot of Republicans, uh, but it would stop doctors from prescribing medicine to delay puberty or performing gender-altering surgery on children under 18. Now that hasn't even gotten a subcommittee hearing at all, and I don't see that one's been scheduled, but it has gotten a lot of attention, partly uh, because the sponsor, uh, Representative Caesar McKnight, actually went on Fox News, so he got a primetime interview that got a lot of attention. But again, it, it's gotten it's gone absolutely nowhere. Now, in terms of just yesterday, McMaster was asked about the NCAA saying if if a transgender bill, anti-transgender bill passes, that they would sort of punish the state, not hold events. I think the NCAA ought to mind their own business. If they want to pass laws, they need to run for office. So he is obviously supportive of the, the Save Women Sports Act, but again, it's not not definitely not passing this year. And it I don't know that it has chances next year either. All right, listeners, that's all for today. Do you have any questions about today's show or ideas for what we should cover in a future episode? Write to us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or tweet us at understandsc. For more South Carolina political news, you can subscribe to our Palmetto Politics newsletter. And we have a newsletter for this podcast too. Send to get new episodes in your inbox on Thursdays. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see y'all next week.